talking about um, rest. I want you to take that in for a moment and think about some of the implications talking about rest. We're going to talk about it and preach about it in the month of June. It means we're going to have to learn how to do it. We're going to have to learn how to be honest about it. And rest is an important topic in our world um, for several reasons. We're entitling the series, The Rest of the Story. And for some of you, that'll bring back memories of an old radio show. In, in specific, today we're talking about the rest of the creation story. And so before we're done this morning, I'll tell you a little bit more about the rest of the messages in June. But for today, we are going to ground everything else that we're trying to do in the month of June in our messages in a theological truth, in some scripture that still stands today, it's still important today, uh, that it comes from the Old Testament, but it's referenced in the New. In fact, it's referenced all over the scriptures. And so this truth is going to be the theological grounding for what comes in the next couple of weeks. But for those of you who remember Paul Harvey's radio show, the rest of the story. Would you put a hand up? If you remember that radio show at all, good. Some of you, some of you younger ones are going, what? You know, never heard of that. Now, it ended in 2009. But for a run of 33 years, Paul Harvey hosted a Monday to Friday radio show in which he would give, and this is the, this is the important part of this, he would give little known or forgotten facts. Little known or forgotten facts. And then by the time he and he had drawn you in to be interested in what is going on in this story, he would tell you a famous person uh, whose life had been dramatically transformed by this little-known fact. One that sticks out in my memory is when he told the story about the great Sir Einstein. And he unveils for the audience through radio, uh, which is much more difficult than using visual arts because you have to, you know, you've got to be engaging when you've only got words on the radio to draw people in. And he tells in this tantalizing story about a young man who fails over and over and over at school, who's run out of school, who is even, his parents are told he'll never amount to anything because he can't succeed in school. And then at the end, what does Paul Harvey do? Who remembers the way that he would say it? He says, you know, and his name was... Albert Einstein, and now you know the rest of the story, right? And so you'd go, wow, what a neat moment. You'd just kind of go, whatever you were doing, you'd peep my dad, right? And we'd be in the car with him. Uh, we would even sit in the car and we would stay there if the rest of the story had begun, knowing it was three to four minutes long, and we needed to go into the grocery store or whatever, and we'd be in the car and my dad would be like, let's just wait a moment. Like let's, hear, like, let's hear the end of it. And, and me and my brothers, we'd be excited because we always thought the stories were so good. And so we'd all sit in the car for a couple extra minutes instead of rushing off to the next thing to hear the rest of the story. And so isn't it amazing that in an age of radio, it wasn't nearly as engaging as our social media today or some of the other things that we've got today, that Paul Harvey was able to cause people, to kind of grip the attention of people, to take a few moments to rest and to think about a meaningful, little-known, or forgotten fact. And so today, as we get into Scripture, and in just a moment as we look at this, this foundational Scripture about rest, and then as we talk about it in the month of June, we want to ask this question, why have we forgotten so much about what God said about rest? Why has His, why has his teachings on rest become a little-known and forgotten piece of his plan for a well-rounded, whole, mature, healthy follower 
of God. How has it happened that we have forgotten the rest of the story? And this question will be where we begin. Why do we need it? Why do we need rest so badly? So think about it with me for just a moment. When have you needed rest? All of us have needed it. It's not a secret that if you look on Google and you look for stats about work and workaholism and overwork and rest, that you will be just, your page will be filled with articles about how much overwork people do and how bad it is for our health, that overworking induces stress and that stress is the leading cause behind so many of our cultural problems like obesity and divorce and heart disease, things that cause so much pain in life that could be lessened if there was just a little less stress. And so I know that facts and stats, what do they say, 97% of stats are made up on the moment or something like that, right? Well, uh, probably many of them are. But when you see that many articles, you know there's something behind it. And so I wanna give you, even though this maybe won't change your heart, this isn't the thing that'll, the scriptures will change your heart, these stats won't, but I wanna give you a couple to think about. So think about these with me for a moment. You can write them down in your bulletin if you want to. Uh, In 1960, that's just, Uh, just shy of 60 years ago now. And some of us, some of you remember 1960. I don't, but some of you do that are here this morning. In 1960, 57 years ago, homes in America that had both parents employed, okay, all the adults in the home were employed, was less than 20%. Okay, so 60 years ago, less than one in five houses, both parents were working week in and week out in the corporate workplace or, you know, in a job outside the home. And in 2017, So 57 years later, over, do you want to guess what the percentage is now? Of how many homes in America, both adults or all adults work, it's over 70%. That's about a growth of about 1% per year of homes in America. And so, of course, that, you know, that's kind of mind-boggling, but most other countries in the world have not had that kind of a shift in 50 years. You ask questions, why is our country changing so fast? Why are things so different than the way we remember them? Sometimes the past seems idyllic. Maybe this is part of the problem. Here's a second one for you. I'll give you three as a second one. There is one industrialized country in the world. Out of, out of over 100 industrialized countries, there's one in the world that does not mandate parental leave for when, uh, when someone has a newborn. Do you know which country it is? This isn't hard to guess, right? It's us. The only industrialized country in the whole world that doesn't say to families, we value your home and you raising your children enough that we will make you take some time off to be with your newborn. Instead, we expect people to come back to work many times right away. And sometimes if you've got a real good job, they, they build that in, but it's not mandated. All the rest of the industrialized countries, it's mandated. And then here's one. This is the one that just really gets me. Uh, and for all of you who love to to golf, this one might get you too, okay? So in 1950, from 1950 until today, do you wanna guess what the percentage growth in productivity in the American worker is? The productivity growth in the American worker. Take a wild guess. It's in the hundreds of percents. It is 400%. Now when you hear that, you go, okay, so what does that mean? Well, here's what it could mean. If productivity has grown by 400% per worker in America since 1950, that means that to have the same style of living or the same level of living that you enjoyed in 1950 uh, on a 40-hour work week, that now the home should work for 11 hours a week to maintain that same level of comfort. Now, I didn't say per person, 
but the home. So the total amount of work done by the adults in the home would be 11 hours a week if wages and, uh, and the living levels had stayed the same with productivity. But instead, of course, what has happened is as productivity has grown, expectations have grown immensely. And so you don't see people working 11 hours a week, do you? That sounds like a dream. But for all of you who like to hit the links on Friday afternoon and you try to get out a little early to go golf, think about what the work week would look like if the expectation for work and rest and income had kept up with productivity. You and the wife would both go to the office at 9 a.m. on Monday. About 2.30, you'd have hit your productivity for the week, and you would both say, well, I guess we're hitting the links and heading out for the weekend. Bye, office. See you all next week. And everyone would head home because the same number of calls and the same number of accounts and the same number of spreadsheets and the same amount of data analysis had been done in that amount of time as was done in a week in 1950. And you wonder why people are stressed in America. And you wonder why people answer with this new badge of honor. How are you? And what do they say? I'm busy become a badge of honor. So let's look at scripture together. Why do we need this rest so badly? Well, in Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, we find the Bible's first teaching about rest and about God's expectations for it. Let's read the scripture together. This comes from the New Living Translation. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. I want you to take note of what that verse says and what it means. The work had been completed. God was able to look at what happened in the first six days and after saying it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, he decided it is finished. It is complete. And God experienced contentment with what he had done and with what he had made. And so on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. God is the model for rest. But also God's contentment in what he had done is the model for rest. And so God looks at the work, he finishes the work, and he rests. And then God did this. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And I hope you'll take a moment to pen those blanks into your bulletin and remember this verse. It's so important. It's really critical for what we're talking about this month. Now, before we get too far down this road, there's a few things here that could be confusing. And we want to iron some of them out today in, in what's kind of our theological message of the series. Are we trying to say that everybody still needs to have Sabbath on Saturday? Well, of course not. There are some things that are part of the Old Testament and some things that are part of the New. And we're certainly not under law any longer. But by the time we're done today, I think you'll see that God blessed and made the Sabbath holy not as part of the Mosaic law, not as part of what uh, was given to the Jews and was binding to them and was oppressing to them, but in the very act of creation, in what God did when he said, let's make the world ordered and well, let's make it healthy for human beings, let's make it an enjoyable place to live and to work that God decided that there should be rest, and he rests and models it in his creation. What does this mean for us? Well, the first thing it means for us is this, that the blessing of God is the basis for all rest. Rest is not something that we should do because of weariness or brokenness. 
Rest is not something that should only come around whenever we have a breakdown. Rest comes because of the blessing of God and because of faith in him and trusting his pattern when he said, I'm going to bless a day. I'm going to make it holy and you all should do as I do and learn how to balance work and rest. But here's the second uh, thing or the second takeaway. And I hinted at this just a moment ago. That Sabbath is not a condition of the law. But it's a condition of peace with God. When God had made all of the world and he said it was all very good, he was at rest with his creation. Nothing in creation at that moment, except for that vile serpent that was about to ruin everything, was outside of rest with God. Think about it. The whole world was at peace with God. And so the peace of God is the basis for rest in the world. It's not based on law but on blessing. Tim Keller, in a famous article that he wrote about work and rest in American society, and he's a preacher in New York City, a city that's known like Bentonville for being a place where there's high expectations and quick turnover in the workplace. He said that this means that we should cease regularly from and enjoy the results of your work. That just like God, we should cease regularly from and enjoy the results of your work. And I would add to that, that maybe the reason we don't do it is because we don't trust God. That the reason that we do not cease regularly from and enjoy our work and the results of it is because we feel like we must do more. We feel like the Israelites in the desert with the manna, I need to collect enough for Saturday. And we don't trust God when he says, cease from your work and enjoy it. So here's our second question this morning. How should we use it? How should we use it? Well, this is the next point that we're going to consider, and we're going to go to Scripture in Isaiah in just a moment to look at it. So open up to Isaiah 40 as you consider this point. For those who are created by God, all of us whom he made, rest is an individual biological imperative. Okay, I want you to take in each word of this sentence. For those whom he created, us, rest is an individual, that means every person has this equally, biological, that means it's built into you by the way God made you, imperative. You can't get away from it. You refuse to sleep for long enough and you go into delirium. You refuse to take a day off of work for long enough and you might find yourself with a life crippling illness or a broken home. It is a biological imperative. And this scripture hints at it. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31 says this, Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. So even the young and strong in society, the ones who are expected to be able to do so much, will fall to exhaustion without rest. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. And again, if God says, I've made a holy, regular period of rest for the people of God, and we refuse to listen to it or abide by it, isn't it really a question of trust? And this passage says those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They'll find that that individual biological imperative, the thing you can't get away from, is met when you learn to trust God's plan for home and family for work and rest. The next scripture says this, they'll soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I want you to be honest, how many of you really feel this way very often 
How many of you moms and dads? How many of you in the school system? How many of you who work in corporate? How many of you who work in the church truly feel regularly? I am so rested in God that it's like I'm soaring like an eagle. You know, it's like I could just keep on walking and never fall over. I'm so refreshed by God. That's not the way that we usually feel. And again, the badge of honor of modern society confirms it. We ask each other, how are you? And instead of saying how we are, we answer by saying, I'm busy. In other words, I'm heading towards a breakdown. Jesus also needed rest. You think about this, Jesus participated like you and I in the created order. And so he also, in his earthly ministry, needed rest. It was an imperative for him too. It was biological for him as well. He understood it. And so one day there's this scripture right before Jesus meets the woman at the well. And sometimes these little pieces that come before a great story or at the end of a great story of the meeting of the woman at the well have as much theological significance and as much hope or despair or trust in God for you as any other part of scripture because none of the scriptures can be broken. Even passages like this that seem incidental, merely historical. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Even youths will grow weary. Even Jesus in the body will grow weary. Now, God in creation wasn't tired. God, after making the world in six days, wasn't weary, but he was wise. He knew that even though he wasn't tired, that rest was still the right choice. He knew that he needed to model for us what we would refuse to do even when we were weary. I want you to look at this next slide with me for a moment and think about uh, these words on the slide and the place they've had in our culture over time. What are these? Somebody say it out loud. What are these? The Ten Commandments. It's a really interesting passage from the Old Testament. It's really interesting even just in American history because the Ten Commandments have graced the walls of many courtrooms. And yet, there seems to be a sense in the modern church that the Ten Commandments, you know, they're part of that Old Testament and they're part of that law. And so they're not really binding to us. And maybe like myself, you grew up hearing something like this. Well, in the modern church, we have nine commandments because nine of the commandments are renewed in the New Testament. And so you read through the list, no other gods, that's still playing in the New Testament. No idols, still playing in the New, in the New Testament. Uh, don't misuse God's name, right? It's in the New Testament. And you could look at most of the rest on the list. Honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. And you can clearly see that they're through the New Testament. But I want to say to you that it's only an American society that for the last 60 to 70 years has been on this uphill climb of ever-increasing work and productivity and so little rest in the home that fails to see that rest is still all over the New Testament. No, not in the legal code way of the Mosaic law, and yet it's everywhere. Jesus takes time to rest regularly and go be with God and pray. And yes, even rest needs some definition because in the New Testament, we're warned against being idle and we're warned against overworking. And so rest is still important in the New Testament. In fact, it's so important that of all of the different metaphors that God uses for the very worst outcome of a human life, rest and the failure to enter into rest is one of the metaphors that God uses for hell. 
When Jesus talks about hell, you're familiar with some of the language, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's one of the ways that they speak about hell. What will it be like if you end up there instead of in God's presence? And another way that that Jesus speaks about it is like a fire that will not be quenched. And I have no idea if this is physical or spiritual fire, but it's the way Jesus speaks about it. In another place, he says it's like darkness. Light will never shine there, it's it's darkness. The worm will not die. These are all ways of describing to us what it would be like to be separated from God, what it would be like to be separated from him in hell for eternity. And yet in Hebrews chapter four, the writer of Hebrews says that we need to be careful that we don't lose the opportunity to enter into God's rest. And he says that some heard in the Old Testament and some will hear now that God says to them, they will not enter my rest. And it is a way of describing hell. It's a way of describing what it would be like if we were not united with God in eternity. Never resting again. Ceaseless, ceaseless stress, ceaseless unfulfillment, never being able to look at what we've done and say it was good for eternity would be one way of describing hell. And so yes, these words on the screen behind you were part of the Mosaic Law. And yet there's something more important than just asking which law did they come from. And so this is the way that we need to look at them together. They are individual commands. So they're commands that people as individuals must choose to keep or not keep. But they have social and spiritual implications. They change society and they change the way we approach church and worship. And so they are still for us today, even if it's not because of the code of the law, but it's because of trusting in God. And so we're going to wrap up with this question, this point today. What do we do about work and rest? What do we do about work and rest? Because what we choose to do about work and rest as individuals impacts both the social and spiritual dimensions of rest, just like we saw in those Ten Commandments. What you choose to do on a weekly basis, whether you trust God in taking time to rest with him or not, will also impact what happens in a social basis and in a spiritual basis. Here's what I mean by that, and these are the way we're going to break out the sermons in the rest of the month to teach on that. Because today, this is like the theological grounding, but next week we're going to talk about the first part, the individual choice, the choice that you make every week. And we're going to call that the rest of your story. What choices do you make on an individual basis? Just like you might make to keep or to break one of those commandments. But the next week, we're going to talk about the rest of our story. How do the choices that all of us make as individuals when it comes to rest impact the way that our church, the Bentonville Church of Christ, and our town, the community of Bentonville, live and work? How do our families thrive or die? How does our health improve or fail based on the things that we choose as individuals and the way that it plays together when we're together. And then finally, the last week, we're going to get really, really spiritualized and we're going to talk about eternity and resting in Christ. We got a verse here in just a moment that talks about it, but we're going to talk about the rest of Jesus' story and the rest that he welcomes us into. Where could you find that kind of rest? Where could you find the rest that is with Christ, the rest in Jesus' story? Jesus said these words in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, 
Which again, this isn't the absence of all work because a yoke represents work. But he says, take my kind of working on you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus understands that in a society that demands more and more, that you need to learn from him both about real choices about work and rest, but also to seek him out and trust him for rest for your soul. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. We're going to leave you this morning with two resources, two things, one that you can use today and one you can use next week, and then we're going to offer the invitation. And so this is a video series that I would recommend to you. If you're interested, going into the next couple of weeks, to get thinking about and learning about how we work and how we rest. This is a video series that the class that meets in the lodge just used earlier this spring. It's called 24-6. It's available for all of our church members for free on a resource called Right Now Media. And if you don't yet have a login to Right Now Media, you can just reach out to the church office. In fact, you can use your Alexio app. You can look up somebody who works in the office and you can email them. You can look up me or Greg Ziegler and email us and we'd be happy to get you a login for Right Now Media. And you can watch these four videos over the next month. They're about 10 minutes long each. Four videos that are about 10 minutes. You can find time to do that if you're interested. And we love to be able to provide things like this for the church. The second resource is going to come to you next week and I hope that you'll be prepared. I hope that maybe you'd even consider uh, bringing a friend or a family with you next week so that they could receive one of these packets of resources that our Home Point Center will be distributing. We're going to have a packet called Summer at Home. And it's just some creative ideas for families, for moms and dads and grandparents and kids to have faith interactions over summer break at home, to take advantage of the break from the regular routine and seek out godly spiritual rest together as we celebrate and as we enjoy summer and cookouts and all of those good things. And I'm so excited for next week, and Greg's excited for us to be able to share those with you. So June 11th, that'll be available. Brothers and sisters, there may be many of you who need rest in Christ. And if your elders or if the ministers can help in any way, we'd love to pray with you. Some of you maybe have never entered into the peace with God that starts at the moment of baptism. When you could be accepted into Christ, you could be buried with him in baptism and raised into new life, and you could experience a peace and a rest that goes so far beyond the 60 hours or the 70 that you might work in the next week. And while we work together on balancing out our work and rest cycle,